Hello listeners, Ketchum Richie here and this is Craig Hignett part two. Reaction has been fantastic so far to part one. Higgy's mom's even been in touch, very complimentary, tweeted to say she loved the show. Hi Valerie, thanks for your positive <laughs> comments. Buzzing you enjoyed it. Yeah, that's great and it's um hello everyone, great to have you on board for episode two of Higgy, part two. And yeah, obviously great to hear from from Craig's mother. I do take some issue in you referring to her as mam from the Searching for Chinese Twitter account. Well, why? Come on. Well, where are you from? Ninety-nine percent. I'm from the northeast, but ninety-nine percent of the country would use the word mum. Ninety-nine percent. Well, I don't, I don't know, but mum does not feel right. Anywhere north of Birmingham, I think you're going to get into mum territory. That's oh, come on now. That's ridiculous. Maybe maybe Yorkshire. From Middlesbrough to not go to to say mum from Middlesbrough. That's just an eyebrow raiser for me. Mm, well, speaking of mums from Middlesbrough, uh, my own mother has been digging through the loft this week and has found some Borough programmes from the 97-98 season. Oh, I love it. Yes, and she sent me some excerpts from um, a little topic, what's it called? It's called Inside the Dressing Room with Craig Hignett. And it looks like he's done a season-long feature where he's just talked about his teammates and about the things they got up to outside of the football ground throughout the season. And I couldn't... I just think I've got to read out some of these little pieces here because they're phenomenal. Please do. So, number one, here we go. Big news in the past couple of weeks was, of course, the long-awaited departure of Fabrizio Ravinelli. I won't deny the fact that everyone at the club is happy the whole affair has finally been sorted out. It got to the point where we were fed up reading about what was likely to happen next. Of course, we've still got an Italian in the dressing room in Gianluca Festa, but Gianluca is a nice lad and a total professional. <laughs> I think he chucking Rav under the bus, said he was pals with him. He did. Yeah, he said he got on with him. Another Festa one here. So this is in the wake of England versus Italy uh, in 97 or 98. Gianluca Festa has lost an enormous amount of money after the England-Italy game. He had bets with just about everyone at the club. Vin Vanderson especially cleared up on him. <laughs> Do you know what I love about that is? Higgy in one sentence is saying, Festa's a great professional. <laughs> He's just <laughs> betting heavily on the outcome of a football match. What, what is an enormous amount of money to a, a 90s footballer? Oh, it's got to be 20 quid. <laughs> really... Right. I've saved the best of last year. So this one, I think it's actually from a different piece as opposed to Craig's, the one that Craig hosts. It's it's, it's entitled, Higgy's Losing His Grasp of Virtual Reality. Uh, <laughs> God knows what that me. means. In, yeah, <laughs> so... Higgy and the players were at a crucial point in training in a training routine at Herworth recently when they suddenly noticed a beeping sound. With a horrified expression, the effervescent scouser immediately stopped what he was doing and desperately plunged his hand into his pocket. His daughter's virtual pet needed feeding. <laughs> and he goes on to say, well, she's not allowed to take it to school with her, Higgy protested as his teammates collapsed in fits. Jesus. I believe it's known as a Tamagotchi. Tamagotchi. He's took a Tamagotchi to trade in. <laughs> <laughs> does it get more 90s than that? that is... It doesn't, does it? <laughs> Just think of the, the imagery there. The lads <laughs> out on the pitch going through, the, you know, the motions of training and, the, and Higgy's produced a, a virtual pet. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. I wonder if he mentions... Is he going to mention the Tamagotchi in part two? But, that's the question. But that just goes to show how big they were in the 90s that, you know, the trauma of losing a virtual pet was so much that Higgy had to hide it in his shorts during Middlesbrough training. <laughs> I, I just can't imagine a Premier League footballer doing that no. nowadays. No, it's unbelievable. Fair play to mm. Higgy for doing that. Definitely. But yeah, let's get into the episode. This is fantastic. We've spoke to Craig for so long that we've had to make a part two. 
we go beyond the 96-97 season in this part, post-Middlesbrough. There's some incredible Brian Robson stuff in there. The phone call he had with Robson mm. blew my mind. Some nice Sooner stuff in there. Gaza joins, so there's going to be some tales there. His coaching career and then the unexpected content that we got at the end where he reveals what it was like to work under Ido Karanga in modern Middlesbrough mm. and the fallout that happened there was just something we didn't expect and he was very candid, very honest and open and it was really interesting to hear that. So here we go, Craig Hignett, part two, enjoy. The game we beat Liverpool at home is the is the second best atmosphere I've ever seen at the Riverside behind when we got promoted in 2016 against Brighton. Like, I remember Branca, it's just... I, everything about it, I can just remember just staying in the ground afterwards for ages, everyone jumping up and down, swinging the scarves. It was just, given what we've just been through the season before, to then have that was just absolutely unreal. That The season before game, I, I, that was the first goal I'd scored against Liverpool. So the season before stands in my mind. I think Steve Vickers scored from a corner. I, I think I, I took a corner, Steve Vickers scored. But the one after it was, I think that was Branko's first game or Branka's first game. And he scored after about four or five minutes. Really early, I know it was early in the game. Great goal. We weren't really under pressure. I can't remember being worried in the game. So obviously we had to, you had to play well and you had to do your job properly. And and all if you play football properly, it's hard. And you're shattered, but that's the way it should be. I just thought we had a really, a really good chance. Uh, even no matter who we were playing, in fact it was Chelsea. You know Chelsea became a bit of a pain yeah. for us. Even though the the first game of the Riverside, we we beat them quite comfortably, and it was it was hard. You know, watching that final for me was hard because I knew we were we were a good side. We just Gazza had just come in, and that was his debut. But he was on the bench, and I'd missed out because of it. But I'd missed out because I wouldn't sign a new deal. Looking back on it, I thought it was poor. You know, I'd scored a few goals to get to the final. Um, I'd even. Got a, a car home with Bernie and Ali when they left me at Redden. So the team bus had left me, didn't he? And, and flew home, left me at Elm Park. <laughs> and I had to get a lift home with Ali and, and Bernie Slaven who were doing the commentary. That was disappointing, to say the least. You know, the, the contract <laughs> offer I got was shocking um, compared to what people were getting at the time. And I'd, I'd contributed, I felt, more than yeah. other people. I'd, I'd sort of, that was the, the game that really made my mind up. I didn't know to this day why you weren't involved in that final until you just said it. Obviously, we knew Gazza had come in, so we, you know he'd he'd sort of gazumped you a little bit. But I didn't know there was other stuff going on in the background. That season, obviously, Merson went to the World Cup despite playing in Division One that season. But Gazza did get back in the England squad, and you mentioned obviously like the Towns and what have you. So we did have a, a stellar squad for that division. Uh, it's no wonder that we went up and obviously got to another cup final. But obviously, that season I think proved to be your last for Borough. Uh, like I say, that the cup final had, had made my mind up. You know, the, the cup final and the fact that the contract had been offered, it sort of, I thought it was, I'd been there nearly six and a half years, six years, and I, I, I won't say I didn't I didn't feel appreciated. I always felt appreciated by the fans. I, I've, I've had such an unbelievable time with, with Middlesbrough fans. Uh, even now to this day, you know, it's, it's frightening really how good Middlesbrough fans have been with me. And I'll always be grateful of that, but it, I never ever felt one not wanted. It's the wrong word, but appreciated by the manager. You know, it, contracts I was getting offered. I was I was probably the lowest paid in the squad, and I'd, I'd look at it and think, how can I be the lowest paid? I've scored more goals than him. I've played more games than him. I've, and it it just wouldn't it wouldn't add up. And when you've got teams like you know Bradford at the time and Aberdeen offering 
three times what Middlesbrough had offered me, then it was um, it, it made me think, you know, I think their reasoning where it was, and I, I know it was because I've been told since, was I, I love being at the club that much that I wanted to stay no matter what, but I wouldn't let anyone ever take advantage of me in that way. So I, no matter how much, I'd have loved to have stayed at Middlesbrough for the rest of my career. I'd have loved to. I, I wanted to, to get what I was worth. And I felt like I'd played, I'd played for less than I was worth for a lot of the time I was, I was at the club. And I just wanted what I thought I was worth. And they always said to me, I mean, Robbo always said to me, look, don't do anything in the summer. If anything happens, phone me up. We'll sort something out. And Aberdeen came. I was going up to Aberdeen a couple of days later. And I'd phoned Robbo. When, I, when he answered the phone, he said, hello. I said, hi, Gaffer, Tiggy. He said, who? I said, a Tiggy. He said, who? I said, it's Craig Ignat. He said, oh, are you, Higgy? <laughs> I said, well, you, you said to me, phone you if, if something's happened. I think Aberdeen, I've, I've agreed some stuff with Aberdeen and I'm going to go up and, and have a chat with them in a couple of days. So we were in the summit. And he said, oh, okay, Higgy, all the best. And that was it. That was a phone call. And I'd said to him, because I came back and trained. When I was at Aberdeen, I came back to Middlesbrough and trained because part of the deal was I could come back because at the time I'd just been divorced with my first missus and I wanted to see the kids. So they'd give me a day off if we didn't have a midweek game. But I'd trained at Middlesbrough. And I trained and I'd said to Robbo, you told me to phone you. Because he'd said to me, why, why are you going all the way up to Aberdeen? Why, why did you do that? I said, well, I phoned you. You said to me, phone you and you'll sort something out. And I phoned you. He said, when did you phone me? I said, I phoned you on the Sunday before I went up. And he went, Iggy, you know never to phone me on a Sunday. I don't know what I'm doing on a Sunday. It's my drinking day, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus. He couldn't remember the phone call. So I'm like... He was pissed. Well, I don't know what he was, but he couldn't remember the phone call. But it was after... Because there was a petition. I think there was a petition that went round. And there was 40,000 people had, had signed it to stop me from leaving. He, uh, he, he couldn't remember the phone call at all. That was just one of them them things. I'd love to have, have sorted it out and stayed and because we just got back up into the Premier League and I, I felt, you know, the, the club was ambitious and stuff, but it was pointless me staying there if I wasn't gonna be involved. When you um just going back a step slightly, the last day against for Borough against Oxford, we needed to, a result to go up. You've scored two and and Said goodbye, and it must have been out there that there was that you were looking like it was going you were going to be leaving because there was definitely a, a vibe in the stadium that day. Did you did you feel it yourself? Did you know at that point that that it was over? Well, I hoped it wasn't, but I knew it was. If if that makes sense, so much so that I didn't I didn't go out with the lads on that night. Uh, I stayed away from the celebrations. I went and, and seen the kids. I think back in Warrington, I just felt deflated after that, and it was weird because but it finished perfect for me. If if my career at Borough was going to finish anyway. That is as good as any. You know, I couldn't have wrote it any better. You score two in the game that you need to win to get promotion and then you leave after scoring the first at the stadium. It was like, it was perfect. I couldn't have wrote it anymore. And it, so for me, whilst that game is bittersweet because it was, I look back on it really fondly, but even, and I listened to the commentary and even Alan Brazil knew I was leaving. So I'm thinking, well, how did Alan Brazil know I was leaving? I didn't feel like celebrating. Because I knew yeah. I wasn't going to be part of what was, what they're celebrating for. So I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't go out. It was. Um, mm-hmm. It was a bit weird. Yeah, it was definitely a sad one for Borough fans as well. I, I said to my dad actually that um, we're interviewing you, and he's been a watch Borough for over fifty years, 
and he says he's the be- you're the best dead ball taker he's ever seen in his time as a Borussia supporter. Yeah, that's kind oh, of to say. Yeah, it, it, I, I spent a lot of time doing it. It was um, something I've, I've done at Crew, but dead balls were always something I'd, I'd take, whether it was corners, free kicks, crosses, and I always enjoyed that that part of it, penalties. And I never really, uh, the pressure thing was never a thing for me, taking stuff like that. Um, I'm conscious that we've been going for an hour and 48 minutes, which we obviously it's been class. Um, we've got a few miscellaneous questions. I don't catch, do we, I don't know if you want to delve into post borough we well, can as long as you want i'm i'm here all night Mimis well, all night. i'm getting a, i'm getting a bit down here lads because of the way it ended for you at middlesbrough higgy and things didn't quite go as well as you wanted at aberdeen there was a huge highlight in your career in 02 when you won the league cup final under sunes you must have some sunes stories i'm sure he joined in training would love to hear them i i have but before that i went i went to barnsley and had an unbelievable oh. time at barnsley oh yeah of course and loved it absolutely loved it under john Hendry, who was manager he brought me from Aberdeen. I've got a story. When I was signing for Barnsley from Aberdeen, John Hendry had come up and I'd only ever seen John as a player. He was like, you know, the joker in the pack, wasn't he, John? He was a class clown. But he's come up with this briefcase. So I'm laughing at him straight away because he's got this briefcase. He's walking in <laughs> Pitodry and he's brought Martin Bullock with him. Martin Bullock was a really good player, little player, winger, could go past people. And the deal was, I was leaving Aberdeen to go to Barnsley so the fee was six six hundred thousand. Bearing in mind Aberdeen got me free from Middlesbrough just a few months earlier. So it was six hundred thousand plus Martin Bullock. And I'm sat outside and me and Bully had the same agent, me and little Bully. So John's in with the the manager was uh, Alex Miller and Stuart Milne, who was the chairman of Aberdeen at the time. And I'm sat outside with Martin. So Martin says to me, What's it like then, Iggy? And I said, Well, Bully, I'm not gonna lie. I said, I hate it. I said, I think it's shit. I said, you train on, on ship parks. I said, they've, they've lied to me a little bit and said I could have days off when they haven't. I said, but it's not for me. The football's all right. I said, the football's all right. You play at Pitodri, it's good. And when you play Celtic and Rangers and stuff, I said, it's it's all right. I said, but it's not for me. He said, all right. Anyway, the door opens and John said, come in, lads. So we come in, we sit down, me and Martin. So... John said, right, Iggy, everything sorted. Alex said to me, right, are you happy? I don't want... I'm, I'm sorry it's ended this way because I think you'd have been really good for us. But we're, we're happy. We've reached an agreement. Are you happy? I said, yeah. I said, I just need to get back down there, the kid. So he said, right, okay. He said to Martin, Martin, are you happy? And Martin went, no. And I'm thinking, ah. Oh. So he said, well, why aren't you happy? And Martin said, Iggy said it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sat there and I'm thinking he's threw me right under the bus so what all I could say was well that's what I think and that was it so Bully ended up staying at Barnsley and John had to pay a million quid for me so he then had to fork out another 400 grand and he, we're coming out the room and he's gone to me why didn't you keep your mouth shut <laughs> <laughs> so we got, I go to Barnsley and, and unfortunately John got sacked at the end of that year but my my debut for Barnsley, we beat the Huddersfield 7-1. We were about 5-0 up at half-time. I scored two in it. It was it was an unbelievable game. Um, but then, from then on, I just I had such a good time at Barnsley. Then the playoff final. Scored the playoff final, got beat by Ipswich 4-2. Tony Mowbray scored in that game as well. Shouldn't really have got beat by them. And then Blackburn came. So, Graeme Sooners had phoned me up. So, I was going to go for Everton from Barnsley. Walter Smith was manager, but they couldn't. They wouldn't deal with my agent. And they told me to 
to deal with a certain agent who I wouldn't deal with to get the move done. So obviously money was going to change hands. I didn't want any part of it. And Graham Sooners had phoned me and he said, right, what do you want? I said, well, what do you want to give me? He said, well, typical scouser. He said, <laughs> you've got to tell me what you want and I'll tell you what I'm going to give you. So I said something stupid, like 40 grand a week. You know, for a fact, there was nowhere near that. Like, And he went, yeah, you are a scouser. He said, this is what I'll give you. So anyway, I'd, I'd agreed it with Graham on the phone. I, I, I was always going to sign for them. I could have went to, to Fulham. John Tigana at Fulham had, um, had come in, offered me a really good deal. I would have stayed in one of the Harrods apartments. Alfayed would have given me an apartment there. London never appealed to me, ever. I went to Blackburn. I was getting the same money at Blackburn I would have got at Fulham. So obviously it's worth more in, in Blackburn than it is in London. With Graham, I had my first day we travelled out to pre-season. Graham had stayed behind to to do the, the signing with me. And then we flew out together, just me and him, to a place called Derbacher in, in Germany. Great company, Graham. I could ask him about all of my favourite Liverpool teams, what it was like, this, that and the other. I knew I was there. And he was really good company, really good company. And... I mean, I still, you know, to this day, I still get on really well. Whenever I see him, he's always got a a nice word to say about me. And I just got on great with him. But when I'd signed for him, I I injured an Achilles in pre-season and I missed the first three months of that season. We ended up getting promoted in it and I, I started playing, I think it was November, my first game for Blackburn. So it wasn't the greatest start, but the, the time I had at Blackburn was probably the best dressing room I've been in. We had some great players. Andy Cole, Dwight York came. We had uh, David Dunn, Damien Duff, two guy, who was one of the best players you'll ever see in your life. Henningberg, you know, we had Lucas Neal, such a a really good squad, solid. Craig Short, Gary Flickcroft. That we were, I think we finished sixth in the Premier League and won the, the Cup. We got in Europe, played in Europe, and we had such a good side. Keith Gillespie was there, Jason McAtee was there. So we had, we had so many good players, but it was great playing with, you know, or playing for Graham. He wasn't like you think he is. You think he, you know, hard man who's going to rip you to bits. And But he wasn't. You know, he wasn't like that. Now and again, it had come out, but not... He was just uh, just really good company. I, I really enjoyed his company. So, it was, I think it was... You obviously had a good spell with Blackburn and then injuries started to creep up and then... It feels like your career came to an end a lot earlier than it should have done. You broke your leg at Coventry, I think. Is that right? I went on loan to Coventry and um, at the time I was 30. I mean, I signed for Blackburn at 31 and I signed a four-year deal. So it would take me to 35, which I was pleased with. But I, after three years there, I went to Coventry on loan. So I had three years at Blackburn and then went Coventry on loan. Gary McAllister was manager. Again, enjoyed it, scored a few goals. And then at Sheffield United one day, I'm defending a corner and the ball's been half cleared to the edge of the box. And remember Peter and Love? Well, he's he's running onto this ball, and I've jumped across with the outside of my right foot to try and get a block. And he's volleyed this ball and caught it sweet, but it's hit the end of my foot. And my, my ankle's gone with the ball. It hit the floor, the ball's gone somewhere. And I knew, I broke my ankle and my shin in the same thing. And I'm getting up, and they're trying to make me walk off the pitch. And I'm saying, well, I... I said, I, I broke my leg. And they're saying, you haven't broke your leg. You've just done your ankle ligaments. I said, no, I broke my leg. Anyway, I've, I've gone for a, an x-ray and then a, a scan. I don't have an operation. You just put me in a cast because it hadn't displaced. And then went back to Blackburn. 
and then managed to get fit and played and played the last game of the season against Spurs away and scored. We won 4-0 um, and scored in the game. It was my first game back. At the end of that, I went to Leicester. Mickey Adams signed me for Leicester, who just got promoted into the Premier League. Uh, I went there and played with some good players, uh, Les Ferdinand's, Muzzy Izzard, people like that. And I had a really good season. I was 34 playing at Leicester in the Premier League and thought, I knew my legs were, were going a little bit, you know, after the injury, I wasn't quite as quick as I should have been. And there was a game against Arsenal where I knew, you know, whereas before I could run away from people, I wasn't quite getting away from people or I was, I was getting closed down really quick and, and I managed, I scored in the game in a 1-1 draw, but I knew I wasn't, you know, I, I knew I was coming to the end. So I'd had a season at Leicester, I had another season there, but I ended up going to Leeds. So I went to Leeds with, with Kevin Blackwell and I only stayed there about two or three months. And I got fed up, I wanted to go home. And so I wanted to come back up here and, and be near the kids. And I ended up signing for uh, for Darlington from Leeds. I had a hernia while I was at Darlington in that season, so I missed the end of that season mm-hmm. where we missed out on promote uh, on playoffs by goal difference mm-hmm. under David Hodgson. Again, Fl- Fl- Curtis Fleming was there with me, so you know, Craig Little was there, Neil Madison was there, so I knew a lot of, of people who were there. Alan Armstrong came, and we had a really good team, but mm-hmm. because we didn't get up that season, Hodgie had to disband it, and I ended up going to Cyprus. I played for mm-hmm. Apollo and Limassol, and I loved it, and absolutely loved it. It was... Totally, it was like playing here in the seventies. So we'd go to stadiums, and there'd be fireworks, and they'd be throwing bottles, and there'd be—it was mad. It was absolutely nuts, but brilliant at the same time. Manager was called Bernd Stanger, who then managed Estonia, and he'd been all over Iraq and Australia, and done really well. And we won the league, and we got in the Champions League. So I, I won the Cypriot League, and we got in the Champions League qualifiers. But at the end of that season, I mean, I was thirty-seven at the time. So I'd played a long time and it, I thought, nah, it's time to go home and, you know, just retire and I'll go and, and coach. Anyway, I went home, retired and then got bored. And then three months later, I spoke to Danny Wilson. And I said, look, can I come down and train? And he said, yeah. He said, come and train. So I hadn't done nothing for three months. Went and trained at Harleypool where Danny was um, and ended up getting fit. And Danny said, look, I, I don't want to embarrass you by offering you money like but." Would you? Uh, I said, Danny, I don't want money. I'll just, I'll play. If you want me to play, just register me and I'll play. So I, I ended up playing. He, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it for free, Danny. And he ended up giving me something smaller, like two hundred quid a week or something, three hundred quid a week. Uh, and I ended up playing in the season where they had the, they got promoted. Hartlepool got promoted, and um, it was they, they went on a record run of twenty odd games where they were unbeaten. And I played. I just got in the side. I came on a sub the game before, then came on a barnet away and done my hamstring, and then I missed the rest of it. But it was that was at the time where my hamstring kept going, and I didn't know why, and it, that was a, a pain. So I, I ended up thinking, I'm 37, 38. I probably could get to 40 if I wanted to, but I felt like I wanted to go and start coaching. So I got a job. I ended up going and, and coaching at Middlesbrough Academy with the kids, yeah. and that was great for me. You know, it was a... Foot on the ladder, go and coach, learn off people. Dave Parnaby was there at the time. Mm. And I just thought I'd, I'll go and learn my trade. And that was great. And then you went back to Hartlepool with Cooper, I believe. Yeah. Coops was um, Coops got the job and, and was looking for an assistant and phoned me up and asked me if I'd do it. And and we had a really good good start. You know, we, we had a good time at Hartlepool, enjoyed it. 
obviously it was my first role as as a first team. But Coops was great. You know, Coops had done the, I think he was doing the 20 or 18s at Middlesbrough at the time, but he was ready. He really knew what he wanted. And and we had a great relationship, me and Colin. Uh, and then I got um, I got headhunted by Middlesbrough to become ITOR's assistant, which in hindsight, I should have ran a mile from. But it was Middlesbrough and, and it was Championship and it was working with Karanka, who'd worked with Mourinho, who'd been at Real Madrid and back at the club where I thought, you know, it's, it's a great job for me. But I knew within the first month I'd made a mistake. What were the red flags for you, Higgy? When, when we won, it was all right. It was everything was good. It was the team were great and he was great. And when we lost, it was you were you were rubbish at your job this week. You're letting me down. You're to his staff. If they lost, he wouldn't speak to you. A weird way away. I was the only English lad in there. You know, Spanish and Portuguese. They would they would. At first, they were talking English to try and make me feel included. But then after, like I say, after a month, six weeks, it was Spanish and Portuguese. I didn't really have a job on the sidelines. I had to go and shout at the fourth official. That was my job, which I didn't want to do. I, you get more out of them talking nicely to them. and But that's the way he wanted me to be. Everything had to be done when he wanted it to. We couldn't go for breakfast unless I told him for breakfast. We couldn't have dinner unless he was ready for dinner. Everything had to be spot on for him, which isn't a bad thing at times, but you know, sometimes you have to realise your staff are there for you. You know, your staff want to do what's best for you. Your staff aren't trying to undermine you. And he would do it to all the staff. You know, he would, at the times he'd go mad at whether it was Leo or Carlos or myself or it was um, over nothing. You just didn't know what mood he was going to come in. Um, he was like a, you know, he was like a baby really. Mm. Seemed very, very emotional. But yeah, that's that's the way. That uh, probably baby's wrong. He was emotional. You know, he he got carried away, I think, and he wore his heart on his sleeve. But you know, I I seen things behind the scenes, and some things that he was saying to me really got to me. Especially when I when we had the big bust up after the Blackburn. You know, to claim I wasn't loyal to the football club was was laughable. And I don't know where that come from because all I was doing that day, he'd had a go at me that day for talking to people who I'd played with. So David Dunn, Craig Short, who were on the staff of Blackburn. I know Gary Boyer really well. And we were having a, a laugh before the game. He, he got Leo to tell me to stop having a laugh with them. Then during the game, I'd actually said, we'd had a bit with the, the bench. So I'd had, and he thought I was having a laugh and a joke. I wasn't. I was, I was actually having a go at them. So then he told Leo, I don't know why he wouldn't tell me himself, but he'd tell Leo to come and Leo was like his his messenger boy. And yeah. and then the the incident happened. It should never have been a goal. Dimmy was yeah. fouled and Yeah, Gestead, I think. Yeah, Gestead fouled him. Clattenberg was the, the ref. I was up having a shout at Clattenberg and the linesman after he'd give it. And I could see Ito going for the fourth official. So I tried to go and stop him because I knew and he grabbed the fourth official and obviously got sent off with it and then the, the whistle went not long after and we came in and and then he'd said to me I wasn't um, loyal to him he said where were you when me and my staff were fighting with their staff I wasn't loyal to him I wasn't loyal to the football club there's a lot of things that people can say to me and I'll just ignore it and laugh it off but to say I wasn't loyal to the football club when I'd listened to conversations he'd had with members of his staff about the football club was laughable so I actually walked out the room and slammed the door I didn't slam it hard but I slammed it and he come 
chasing in the other room where I was getting changed and started pointing at me and, you know, don't you ever slam the door in my face and said, I didn't slam it in your face. And then he went for me. I should have, as an hindsight's a wonderful thing, I should have punched him. <laughs> I was that close. I went for him and then Leo had, had stepped in and grabbed hold of him. And then I thought after the game, I, I got me close. I was fuming. And I got me clothes, I went home and I thought he'd phone me up and say, look, come round the house and I, I want to apologise, I shouldn't have done it and I was a bit emotional, blah, blah, blah. Never got a phone call. I went in on a Sunday morning, sat at my desk, didn't say a word to me. I went down to set training up and then Leo came down and said, all right, or doesn't want you on the training ground today. I said, right, where is he? He said, he's up in his office. So I said, right, okay. So I went up and sat in the office where we were, which was next to his. He came out of his office, didn't say nothing to me. Then on his way back, he said, did Leo speak to you? I said, yeah. And that was it. He walked past. I think he was waiting for me to say, I'm sorry about you. I had nothing to do. It wasn't me. And then I went home and then got a phone call saying, uh, will you come in and see me off, off Neil? Neil Bowser, who you know, I get on well with, with Neil. I... I always felt, at the time, I was made up to get out of it. So I, I was saying, I can't wait with him. I thought it said it was him or me. Um, he, bearing in mind, he'd already been through an assistant or two. And I'd said to Neil, look, I've got no time for him. You want to watch your back because I know what he's saying about you and other people in here. He's not good for the football club. Even though I knew he'd probably get promoted. And I'd said that to Aitor. I said, but it'll explode. At some point, it'll be in a mess. I said, but you, you know, you've got to look after me. You, you come after me. I didn't come looking for this job because Steve had rang me up. Steve Gibson after it rang me up, which, you know, Steve's always been unbelievable with me, and he, he's the best chairman you'll ever meet in your life. And and not only chairman but person. You know, if you've been loyal to him and and the football club, and he will he will look after you so well, and he, and he looked after me really well. I have to say, I, I owe Steve Gibson an, an awful lot. But I felt a little bit, Steve had phoned me and said, look what happened, how do we get here? And I, I told him what happened. The story was, I told, said I'd punched him, which I didn't, but I didn't punch him. So I felt a little bit, you know, that Middlesbrough is close to my dream job, apart from managing Liverpool, as I'll get. And I felt that he he ruined it. I thought it ruined it for me. And, and I wasn't going to let him spoil the relationship I had with the football club. Regardless of what people thought thought about him, and and at the time he was, you know, he was loved. He was doing a really good job, and and the club were on the way up, and they were going to get. They got the playoffs that year, but they would have got they got promoted the year after. But I wasn't going to let him sour the way I felt about the football club, and I wasn't going to let him stop me talking to people at the football club. And I know he he, he fell out with people because they talked to me at the football club, um. But that's just. That was just him and it was it was really tough after that it was really it was really tough for me because i felt so so down and so deflated about football and about people in football mm. that it took me a bit to to get myself up and going again mm. we were debating whether to talk about this so won't we catch because i'm really glad to hear that you're not you don't feel badly about borough because obviously that's it was just Karanka in that era. Because obviously you know you're loved by the Borough fans and everything. So. Honestly, it would, nothing would ever sour my relationship with Borough. Or the people who, who work there. So I've got no... I love I love the club and, and love the fans and love everything about it. It was just at the time when I was there. It's probably my luck. 
you know, I, I get to a place where I want to be. I'm assistant manager and, and think, well, this is me. I'm going to, you know, we'll knuckle down. We'll have a bit of success and who knows where it goes. I just wanted to help the fella, but he was such a difficult person to help. At times he could be really nice and I got on, I got on so well with him at the first first month or so. But after that, he just got, I don't know whether he got a bit paranoid and thought because everyone liked me around the place and he hated people getting, because we started scoring when I went there a little bit and I was working a little bit with the strikers and I don't know whether he felt threatened a little bit by that, I, but I didn't, I wasn't interested in anything except helping him, showing him, because he didn't know England, he didn't know the, the games, he didn't know the, the teams and that's why I was there. I was a buffer between the players and him because he didn't, he didn't want to talk to the players. Um, he didn't like confrontation with the players. And I was the buffer. You know, when players weren't happy, they'd, they'd come to me and go, Iggy, what's happening? And I'd go, listen, just get your head down, you'll be all right, don't worry about it. And I'd speak to Aitor about it. So I was, I was like the middleman, but, and it was perfect. But then it got weird. It got weird. We've reached the halfway point of Craig Hignett Part 2, and we've arrived at our favourite part of the show where we get to open some stickers. <laughs> Indeed. Tops match attacks. I was just thinking, in the 90s, 96, 97, Newcastle was sponsored by Newcastle Brown Ale. I thought that was a perfect partnership. I think Tops match attacks sponsoring Searching for Shinies is a perfect partnership. I really like mm. the cohesion between our sticker book podcast being sponsored by Tops, who were Merlin in the 90s. Tops bought Merlin at the end of the night. So I love that. I think it's great. They are the Newcastle Brown Ale of this show, and they've sent us a load of merchandise. Yeah. I'm going to open a sticker. So last week, I forgot my stickers. Oh, I didn't forget them. I lost them because I was moving house, so I've managed to find a pack to open. So I'm back in the game. Here I go with 10 stickers, Richie. You ready? Good luck. What I will say is, to those that don't know, Ketch and I are on Zoom when we do these recordings, and when he said cohesion, he did a David Brent-style face, um, which made me chuckle. Continue. Robert Lewandowski. Is that the big one? Yeah, big sticker. Man United shiny. Oh. Straight in the bin. <laughs> Two Chelsea players, Rudiger and Mason Mount. Love Mason Mount, by the way. Mm-hmm. What a player. Yeah. Oh, Sancho. Wow. Mason Mount, Mason Mount, Sancho, Joe Gomez. Flipping this it. is the England All-Star pack. Yeah, Rudiger. Yeah. Federico Valverde, Real mm-hmm. Madrid. Decent. Marcos Antonio, a Brazilian midfielder from one of those clubs that we can't work out. Who Hang on, let me see it. Shakhtar. Shakhtar. Yes. <laughs> Uh, oh, have we got here? Villarreal player, Joan Jorda, Spain. Villa- oh, Sevilla, sorry. Villarreal. Oh dear. I know. This is what I'm working it's with. A badge. It's awful. <laughs> this is where we expose ourselves. You, you. Champions experience. League Philistines. Last player, Thomas Lamar. Athletic Madrid. Do you know what? That's a good pack. And it's really good. Measure of a good pack is not only the quality of the player, but how many of them you need. So the reason I'm not opening a pack today is that I'm nearly through the packs that we were sent by Tops because I can't stop. Um, it's, it's a disease. <laughs> and um, this weekend just gone, I thought I'd, I'd get my wife involved. I said, here you go, you open, you open a pack for me and see if you can read out some of these names and I'd really have a laugh at her. But the problem was, she opened the first pack, I needed the lot. I said, okay, that's a good omen, have another pack. Again, 10 stickers, I needed them all. I gave her a third pack, it got to the very last sticker and I got one swap out of three packs. Now when I'm doing it, every other sticker's a swap. So <laughs> listeners, to those of you that are collecting stickers... Give them to a mate, your significant other. Get somebody else to open them for you because 
it works. I'm telling you. I, I don't think I've yet. I think I'm yet to get a swap. I must have opened over ten packets. Am I gonna? Is this a perfect book that I'm doing here? I'm just gonna complete <laughs> the book perfectly. It's never happened in the history of sticker books. So I'm I'm on the way to doing that. Will you live that dream? Um, good luck. But no, that's not gonna happen. But um, <laughs> anyway, should we get back to Higgy? I think we should. Come on. There's a bit of a theme here, Higgy. You know, you love Middlesbrough. The fans love you. Sounds like you've been underappreciated by the managers. Yeah, probably. Probably. But I see, that doesn't bother me. I, I don't... To us, I could do it for so long. So I, I was at, I was at Borough for six, six and a half years and I'd probably been underappreciated for five of them years. So, but I wasn't bothered because if, if I look back now at what I did when I was there, I'm pleased. I'm pleased with it. And I know I could have done more if I was appreciated more by by other people, but you only have yourself to blame for that. So I, I wouldn't blame anyone else. I love Robbo. People thought I had a problem with Robbo. I'd never had a problem with Robbo. I love Robbo. I thought he was brilliant for the football club. He was great for me. Lenny, never had a problem with Lenny. He gave me my chance. I'm really disillusioned at the moment. I'm disillusioned with football. I'm, all, all too often now, people want quick fixes and they want success and they want it now. Because we've got a new manager... We should have success this season. It doesn't work like that. You, you have to build something. And you have to put proper foundations in it. And and people now don't get... The average tenure of a manager is about a year. That's the average tenure of a manager. I think I lasted a year in the last one. And we were four points off a playoff spot. So I just think... And, and by the way, I'd, you know, I'd got the wage bill down from one million or whatever it was to about 650 grand. I'd sold players. Players I'd bought in had been sold. So we were... We were doing very nicely on a low budget, but we were, you know, 13 games into a season when you lose your job and you're four points from a playoff spot after having to reduce what you've had to reduce. You just think, what do people expect and what do they want? Especially if you, like, my mate was the chairman. You know, if you can't be honest with your mate, who can you be honest with in football? I've always been really open and honest with people, probably too open and honest with people. I'm not the type to say something that I want other people to hear. I'll say what I feel. And it hasn't always worked out well. So, and the people I see get on are the people who will play the game, if you like. Say what other people want them to hear. It really disillusioned me, the last one. And especially with the way, I mean, I still haven't been paid on my money. And I won't get paid it. So the, I'll just, I wrote that off. Which, you know, for it, I understand things are tight, but that was sacked two years ago or whatever. And, for them to treat you like that, you just think. And, I, and I, I've got a really good relationship with Hartlepool. The football club was was a great place. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I saved it. I, I put the, the consortium together to to buy it with Jeff Stellan and, and Raj Singh. i done that. I didn't have to. You know, I, I did it because Hartlepool, I didn't want Hartlepool to go to the wall. So to be treated a bit like that was was a bit, um, a bit poor, you know, really poor. Yeah. Uh, I have to say. But then, you know, the longer you're out of it, the, the harder it is to get back in it. I think <clears throat> the role I'd like to go down is developing players. I think I'd like to develop players. So if that's a 23s job somewhere, I'd like to go into that and, and develop players to have a career. And no matter, they might not be Premier League players or Championship players, they might go and play in the National League. Or, But I've got a really good understanding of, of what it takes to play in the National League or what it takes to play in the Premier League because I've played in them all. I've got a lot of string to me, bow with the last job. I, I, 
I think I want to go down mm. and, and develop kids. You never know what the future holds. Exactly, yeah. Things change so quick in football. Something, something could open. Well, up it's been a nightmare the last. Obviously, with with COVID and everything, you know, there's there's been very few jobs. You know, they've been few and yeah. far between. So you have to do what you have to do, don't you, to get by and and try and wait until the next thing that comes along. But but hopefully something will turn up. I'm sure it will. It will. We put a, a little word out on Twitter to say that we're. We're interviewing you, and we've had a few questions that have come in for you. So if you don't mind, I'll just rattle through these, Higgy. So in 96-97, would you have rather stayed up and lost both finals or won a trophy and gone down? I think won a trophy and gone down, because we'd have come up the next year anyway. Um, (laughs) I think it would have been good to be part of the first Middlesbrough side that won a trophy. And we should have, really. You know, whether that was the FA Cup or whether it was the, what was it then, the Carlin Cup. Coca-Cola got back in those days all the time ago. Do you yeah. know, if you ask any fan, any Borough fan, m- majority of them will say that's their favourite season. Yeah. Even though it's filled with despair. In my eyes, we didn't get relegated. We had mm. enough points on the board to stay mm. up. Yeah. So We'd finished 15th. Yeah. Yeah, you, you weren't the worst th- three teams. Yeah, it's really harsh for me. And even after the end of the season, we had, I think the chairman came in and the manager and said, look, you You've let yourselves down this season, but and I'm thinking we haven't. We've had a really good season. We've had three points taken off us for no fault of our own. Yeah. This squad in here is good enough to to stay in the Premier League, and in fact, we probably we probably finish higher if we kept the same squad and we were still in the Premier League the season after. We finish way higher. We've also been to two cup finals. All right, we haven't managed to win one, but we to point the finger at the players and, and blame them for relegation. I thought that season was wrong because it wasn't. Another one of our Twitter followers has asked Higgy, "Can you pick a favourite Borough goal for us?" That's the first one, isn't it? It's got, it's got to be the first one. I've scored the one against Liverpool at the Riverside was, was one of my favourites. Um, but the first one, at, you know, I, I, at the time I didn't realise how, how big the goal would be for me. And it was Robbie Musto actually at half time. It went, "You lucky, so and so." I said, "Why?" He said, "What's well, the first goal, isn't it? First ever goal." So, and that, that's what everyone mentions whenever they see me. That's what I get all the time. Ninety nine percent of the time, people go, "Oh, you scored the first goal, didn't you?" At Riverside. It's. I must say, it's, there's older people now who are saying it to me, not so much the younger ones. Well, twenty five years ago. Yeah, the younger ones are saying, "Oh, my granddad said you scored the first goal." <laughs> so that shows you how old we are. I'm thirty five, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember watching Rude Rude Hollett was playing. I knew what Nick was going to do because, like I said, Nick had had a little stumble before it, and I knew he'd pass it to me because I was right in the middle of the goal and. Right enough, I didn't mean it to go in the top corner. I did bottle myself a little bit when I hit it, but it just clipped. If you see if you see it slow motion, it just clips my left boot before I kick it with my right foot. So it was meant to go low, but it ended up going high. It looked better, to be fair. It looked like I meant it, but I didn't mean it to go there. Right, we've got one final question for you, Higgy. This is the Search of a Shinies podcast. Who is your shiny player? So this is the best player you've played with or against in your illustrious career. Player I've played with, Ronaldinho was the best player I've played against. Ronaldo was, uh, he was only a young kid at the time, and he was too many stepovers and but a handful. But you, R- Ronaldinho was. We played uh, when I was at Leicester. We played Barcelona in a pre-season friendly, and they had Philip Koku sent off early in the first half for a foul on me. Actually, I was through on goal, and he brought me down, which has always gutted me. And he got sent off. Ronaldinho that game was unbelievable. Um, but you know. He's massive. He's about six foot two, six foot three. Powerful, quick, big, 
like really big thick set legs and you couldn't get the ball the ball was always about three yards away from you no matter where you were he was just he was on a different level he was on a different level it was it was frightening really to watch you know you watch it and you think it's not can play football but he's playing a different game than, than I am he's playing totally different I mean I'd love I'd love to have played against Messi because he was smaller Ronaldinho was massive and he always looked you know you think well he should be good because he's big and he's powerful and he's quick and all his skills and that whereas Messi I can relate to Messi a bit more because he's small and he, you think well if he can do it like that why why can't you do it why can't, it's just <laughs> I mean the talent he's got is frightening mm-hmm. Well, there you are. You heard it here first. So, Ronaldinho is almost as good as Janinho. <laughs> right. Well, that was Craig Hignett, parts one and two, now wrapped up, and two and a half hours in, in total we were with him. What a fantastic interview. As a Borough fan, I was really looking forward to this one. I loved Higgy for a long time, and I think I love him even more now after that. Um, he was very open and honest. He gave us some real high moments and some low moments from him and I just hope he knows he may well have been treated quite poorly by the the establishment once or twice but as Borough fans we we adore the guy I mean even you as a, a non-Borough fan Matthew you must have a soft spot for him I have a soft spot for him now even though he's a smoggy <laughs> love you Higgy yeah. but now it's it's time to refocus we, need, we found Higgy we got a fantastic interview out of him and now we need some more players Richie any leads Yes, well, one or two. So obviously we've been reaching out to our networks, um, trying any route we can to, to get our hooks into players. So I've got a line into Jason Dozell of Tottenham Hotspur. Yes. So we'll see how that one goes at the moment. I've planted a seed or two there. Mm-hmm. And one which I've been chasing from all angles is Mr. Gary Pallister. Oh, yeah. Another smoggy connection. Well, he is. He's from Middlesbrough, but he's a Man United player. And if you go through the Man United page, I don't see us getting much interest out of those boys because they are all... Like, if they're not managing, they're in the media, it's going to be hard to get one. But Pallister, he's from my hometown, he's a lovely fella, Higgy's getting into him, I've got another route in, so I'm hopeful. What about you? Pally, let's be having you. I've had a good week. Three player names have cropped up in my uh, text messages. People's telling me that they can get Neville Southall mm-hmm. for us, Michael Bridges, Sunderland, and Brian Dean, Leeds, oh. scorer of the first ever Premier League goal. Played for Middlesbrough as well, I know, but oh, he'd be boy. great, wouldn't he? So there's three names oh, boy, that dog. I know will be asked to come on the show soon, so very promising progress. Any update on Fenton? Fenton is not interested. He's been asked by two close friends of his, two players who played under him at North Shields have asked him, and uh, deafening silence. I don't think he wants to talk about the 90s because he's a Geordie and he scored for Blackburn against Newcastle and derailed our title challenge in 1996. I see well, you promised us Neil Sullivan. Any closer on, on sealing yep. Sully? Sound, sounding confident. He had to push back on a record this week because it's half term. <laughs> so, but I think we're gonna I think we're gonna do it <laughs> next week. So confident we're gonna get someone from the crazy gang on, which is amazing. But listeners, who do you want us to interview? Is there a player in the ninety seven book that you've always wanted to hear from? You know, Coventry fans. Do you want us to get Regis Janot on? <laughs> Leicester. Are you what you have you been dying for that Frank Rowling interview yeah. since nineteen ninety seven? That's all I ever hear. Do you want us to get Ron Willems on? You know, these, I really like the idea of getting the more obscure players from the book on. The entire book is scanned and on our website, searchingforshinies.com. Get on there, have a look. Is there a player there that you want us to pursue? Because we will pursue them and we will get them on this show. We're determined. Uh, The other thing is, obviously, 
shout out to my parents for finding the old programs in the loft. If you've got any old programs, any old interviews, pictures from back in 96, 97, or around that era, send them in to us. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, get in the loft and get those over to us. We are on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at the Shiny Pod. And you can contact us via our website. I mentioned the address before, searchingforshinies.com. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. We're everywhere. Subscribe. And if you can get on iTunes and give us a shiny five-star review, we'd absolutely love that. Indeed. But for now, we will wish you a fond farewell. Keep it shiny. That's not staying in. (laughs) 